your Bibles, open up. <coughs> open up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to continue looking at uh, what the Bible teaches about the church. The church. And it's been a wonderful series in the summer. It's helped all of us, I believe, uh, really come together. When we, when we uh, moved here from over at the Wesleyan Church, where we were for six years, we, we came over with maybe 60, 70, four, and this past summer, you know, we enjoyed 100 plus pretty regularly, and, and it's been a, a, good, a good teaching, a good, a good grounding, a good uniting for all of us to understand, you know, if God is calling us to this church called the Well or Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, and it's God's church... Well, what are we supposed to be doing? What's his plan? Because ultimately, we'll be blessed, and corporately, we'll be blessed individually if we just stick with his plan. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Now, I know, you know, again, when we started, the church sounds kind of basic, and, and we've really, over the past few weeks, if you've had the chance to be with us, we've whittled it down to fundamentals. Fundamentals, and, and I started the series with Vince Lombardi, right, who would do open training camp with the football and said, this is a football, right? Last week, we quoted John Wooden, you know, a great basketball coach who, again, stressed the fundamentals, the fundamentals, right? And, and the challenge, even in the church, even if you've been a Christian for a while, the challenge is to discipline yourself not to check out when we get to the fundamentals. Because there's this, there's this tendency sometimes, I've, I've been in ministry 25 years, and I've, and I've had the privilege to come alongside many new believers uh, as they've grown, and you know, that initial stage of, of excitement, enthusiasm, and then, and then somewhere along the line they pick up this phrase, I gotta go deeper. I wanna go deeper, 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 deeper. And I, and I kind of understand what they mean because they get excited about scripture and then they want to know about this, what about this, what about this. The challenge with going deeper, if you're not careful, is that you drift away from the fundamentals. And if you drift away from the fundamentals of the faith, pretty soon going deeper can mean that your faith, my faith, just becomes an exercise in academics. More knowledge acquisition. More information data gathering. And nothing wrong with wanting to know scripture. Nothing wrong with wanting to study different aspects of it. But if you're not careful, if you drift away from really the basic fundamentals of who you are in Christ, and that you have everything you need for life and godliness, suddenly you're just studying for studying's sake. Suddenly you're just coming to church for attendance's sake. And then suddenly, it's boring. Suddenly, I feel like I'm in the wilderness. I feel like I'm just dry, you know? And, and, then, and then our faith becomes all about me. And what am I getting out of it? And, and, and nothing really terrible has happened except that you've drifted from some of the core fundamentals, really, which is the source of even why we're here, right? And... and and fundamentals, again, not real exciting. What's real exciting is, is, tell me something new. Tell me something new, right? Fundamentals, quite frankly, you know, they're kind of boring, right? 
if, if you ever played play, ever played basketball, right? The fundamentals of basketball are pretty boring. <coughs> right? This is called a two-handed chess pass. You learn basketball, this is what you do. Over and over and over. Who's going to go pay a hundred bucks to watch guys do this, right? <laughs> but if you've ever played basketball, the fundamentals is this pass. Because out of this pass, then you start to do bounce passes. And out of this pass, you do overhead passes. But it all came out of this fundamental pass. If you ever played, you got to the varsity level, you kind of know what it's like when the coach says, okay, two-handed chest pass. You're like, really? You just do this over and over. And then if you're going to shoot, right, all the fundamentals of where your elbow is and the wrist, and then you're going to shoot, right? And you go there and you shoot over and over and over, right? Fundamentals. You just, right? I want to play, coach. Just put me in the game. Put me in the game, right? Who wants to do fundamentals? Just put me in the game, right? A lot of us as Christians, what happens is we don't spend time with the fundamentals, scripture reading, prayer. We just want to get in the game. The problem with that, put me in the game, spur of the moment Christianity, without the fundamentals, is suddenly things happen in the game of life, and you don't know what to do. When you're in the game of life and things happen just like on the court, it's the fundamentals that get you through those moments, right? Kobe Bryant was known for the hours and the thousands of free throws he would shoot at 4 and 5 a.m. Kobe Bryant in the gym. Thousands of free throws. All by himself. Nobody there. No lights. No camera. Getting up early. Fundamentals. Why is that? Because when Kobe Bryant is at the free throw line with two seconds left in the final game of the championship, and the crowd is screaming, and millions of people around the world are watching him, in that moment, it's the fundamentals that he relies on. It's the fundamentals. But a lot of us in Christianity, right, we want to show something deeper. Show something new, Pastor. Come on, come on, come on. Right? Read your Bible. Oh, come on. That's this. How's your quiet time? Oh, come on. Right? We, we want some, uh, right? We want, we want the fancy stuff. Show me some fancy, Pastor. Give me some, right? Like, no, no, here, chest pass. Read your Bible. Pray. Come to church. Right? Right? And, and we're not careful. We devalue, over time, we devalue the fundamentals. And over time, then, we start to live in spur-of-the-moment Christianity, in the game of life. We're just like, oh, 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 you know, something comes up, and you kind of, like, freak out. And you're like, well, why are you freaking out? You should know this. It's fundamentals. It's the fundamentals, right? It's, it's kind of, you know, one of these things where it's just a choice to make and understand the importance and not drift and suddenly... You're out there, and you've been walking with Jesus for a whole bunch of years, but you're acting like a rookie. And it's just a matter of fundamentals. You just stray. Right? You just stray. And 1 John 3, verses 23 and 24, we saw two fundamentals that we spent time with last week. 
1 John 3, 23 and 24. And this is his command. We saw last week it's a singular command with two parts. Singular command, two fundamentals. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's faith. Everyone say faith. faith. First fundamental, faith. And to love one another as he commanded us. So last week, the two fundamentals. Faith and love. Faith and love. Two sides of the same coin. You need them both. You need them both. We shared... If you're not careful and you tend to overemphasize one, your faith can become very doctrinal, very heady, very academic, and you just stop loving people because you're all academic. Right? The other side, if you overemphasize love, then your faith is all touchy-feely experience. And that opens you up to false doctrine and you kind of just <coughs> go into whatever makes you feel good and all that kind of stuff, right? You need faith and love. Right? We're to, the Bible says we're to walk in truth and we're to walk in love. That's actually what unites us. Our faith and our love unite us. Okay? So last week we saw that there were two, two core fundamentals. That you, 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 never, you never get too old to practice. We should always be growing in our faith. That's why Tuesday nights are great. That's why all the Bible studies we have, that's even Sunday night. Elements of, of disciplined study. Absolutely important. But never to supersede or take the place of love. Of love, right? Turn to Galatians 5 6. I'm going to go left a few books. Galatians 5 6. And we saw this verse last week. Galatians 5 6. Speaking to Christians who are struggling with performance, with merit, with works, right? Which Christians who are just. Unable for whatever reason, they're in bondage. They can't rest in the freedom of grace, right? We saw this in Galatians 5 6. He says this For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith and love. The only thing that counts faith expressing itself through love. Talk about motive. We examine our motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? You're serving, going on a mission trip. What's the motive? If it's about merit, if it's about trying to prove something to God, you missed it. It's faith expressing itself through what? Love, right? Love. And we saw it's a very specific love. A very specific love. In the Bible, there's phileo love, which is friendship love, the city of Philadelphia. Right? The city of brotherly love. So in the Bible, there is phileo love. I call it potluck love. I call it bowling night love. Right? It's social interaction. There's it's fellowship. Typically what we in the church call fellowship. After church, we, we invite you to come and have a time of fellowship in the commons. That's phileo love. It's social. Hey, I like hanging out with you. You like hanging out with me. Let's have a good time. That's phileo love. Nothing wrong with it. In 1 Peter, he says, hey, you know what, believers? Don't just have phileo love. Have agape love. Take your phileo love and now demonstrate agape love. Right? So in John 13, go to John 13, where we ended last week, John 13, 34, we begin looking at this agape love. John 13, 34. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples near the end of his ministry time here on earth. And in John 13, 34, and 35, that's what he says. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Verse 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That was a revolutionary kind of rock-your-world statement to these disciples. Because we saw last week that, that the power in it, in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another, what? As I have loved you. Right? John 15, 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. at John 13, 34, and we're just going to go deeper a little bit now, so you can understand what's said. It says a new command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a command. It is the command, remember, the covenant relationship we're in is called diatheke. Everyone remember diatheke, which is what? Greater to lesser. Right? He's the greater, we're the lesser. When he speaks his will, we are just to what? Do that. It's pretty simple. Diatheke. We're in a diatheke covenant with the Lord. So when he says, a new command I give you, we should perk up. Because the greater in this relationship is being very clear right now. Hey, church, here's what you are to do. Here's what you are to do, right? It's a cause and effect here where it says... Look what it says there. So it's a command that says, I love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What, that, what is that statement? It's a cause and effect statement. He says, my love for you should have an impact. Something, something should result from my love for you. That's what he's saying here. This is, this is where, you know, sometimes it gets real uncomfortable because if we're not careful, again, our... Christianity, especially on just the United States or it's just things we pick up, our Christianity comes about more, more. Tell me more. Jesus, tell me how much more you love me. Oh, I like that one. Oh, let's sing another song about how God loves me. I like that song. And it, 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 if we're not careful, we just become so like, God, give me more. Tell me more how special I am. And the whole point of this is, hey, as I have loved you, now go do that. What? That's impossible. 
in the flesh. Don't forget that. In the flesh. Because it's, and it's the, what kind of love? Agape. Agape. Which is a fruit of the Spirit. If we are to love one another as He loved us, you got to know it's a command. you got to know it should be a fruit of His. It's a cause and effect. But you also got to know, you know what? In the flesh, left up to myself, I can't do that. And you're not intended to. Because when we love with the God they love, you know what? It brings Him the glory. It brings Him the glory. It's a new command. In, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, Love the Lord your God. In Leviticus, it says, Love your neighbors yourself. So this idea of loving God and loving our neighbors isn't new in that way. What makes it new is that Jesus is the standard. As I have loved you. Right? In fact, with the worship team, I was working through these verses this morning, and I said, what does Jesus command us to do here? And what did the worship team say? Love one another. John 13, 34, and 35 says we're to do what? Ah, as I have loved you. It's kind of right if I ask you, what does Jesus command? We'll say love one another. Ah, it's that last phrase that gets you real uncomfortable. Because if I say, if I just say, hey, God calls me to love you, who defines love then? Me. If I, if I sort of omit that as I have been loved by Jesus part, then all of a sudden I'm the barometer for if I'm loving you. It's, it's more convenient. It's comfortable. This agape love is self-sacrificial. Modeled in Jesus' death on the cross. Way beyond me. In fact, impossible. Agape love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? Why is this absolutely essential? Especially, especially today at this very minute. This command to the disciples and then to the church was radical. Was radical. Because the world at that time was so divisive. There was so much prejudice and discrimination among nations and economic classes and gender that this statement to love one another in a new church that was very diverse was radical. Don't miss the radical nature of what Jesus is saying here. You, my disciples, from diverse economics, diverse races, diverse whatevers, are to love one another as I have loved you. There's a radical, radical testimony that the church made simply by loving one another first. You see, in our culture, right, how do people identify themselves as Christians? What do people do? Bumper stickers. What else? T-shirts. What else? Wear a cross, maybe. Christian music. Christian lingo. Big Bible with leather case. <laughs> right? Go to church. In our culture, we, we have all these sort of 
commercialized identifiers. Jesus is saying in this passage, here is the identifier, church. Here is the identifier. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the identifier. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. It's not a t-shirt issue. It's a heart issue. A fruit of the spirit issue. An issue if we generally did that here and we do that here, the world outside those doors would be like, what's up with that? How is that even possible? Right? Look, look at these, look at this passage. Turn to Galatians 3. Here's how radical this command to love in the church was that they had to expand upon it. In Galatians, like Galatians 3. Galatians 3.26. He's speaking to believers now. Very important. Speaking to believers. Galatians 3. Early church. Diversity. People are getting saved left and right. Old covenant. Gone, new covenant, saved by grace through faith. A lot of people are responding. Look what he says in Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Woo! He just blows out all the human distinctions of division. National, national distinctions, gender distinctions, civilized versus barbarian, right? Jew, Greek, it, it, he's like, you know what? All those things that you people have put in as human boundaries between you, they're all gone. You're all one in Jesus, Amen. Right? Turn to Colossians 3. Two books to your right. Galatians, Ephesians, three books. Colossians 3.11. We see this again. Colossians 3.11. Here, in Jesus, in faith, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, I, I don't know if you watched the news yesterday about what is going on in this country, in Virginia, and other places. And I don't know
things you bring in to the church that that may that may cause you to, to hesitate about engaging in true love, a godly love for somebody. Maybe this idea of love, you've been wounded, you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, maybe you even had bad experiences in a quote unquote church somewhere. So this whole idea of Jesus saying, love one another, in your mind you assent to it, but in your heart you're like, nope, not getting hurt again. Maybe, maybe in your own upbringing, maybe there has been some lines of division. Maybe there are some things in your life where it's like, man, this church is pretty diverse, and, and now he's saying that we're supposed to love one another as he loved us, but man, this is kind of out of my comfort zone now. I was reminded of the quote that's attributed to uh, Martin Luther King Jr., right? He said, the most segregated hour in America is 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Because we tend to, even in the church, want to worship with our own. Right? It was, it was a powerful statement made during the Civil Rights Movement. Right? The church is called to love one another as Christ loved the church in Galatians and Colossians. He says, hey, you know all those human distinctions, all those human, those man-made boundaries and, and compartments? In Christ, those get all blown up because you're all one. Amen? In Christ, you're one. We get that here, but now to do that, that's why it's got to be a move of the Spirit. Because you have your stuff and I have my stuff. And as we get used to this thing called church, it can be downright scary. It can be downright comfortable, uncomfortable, right? Just just share a little bit of, of my journey in this. I grew up in South San Diego. And coming from elementary into my junior high, uh, it was a, kind of a middle class neighborhood. But at my junior high, it was split along racial lines. And there were four four basic groupings, right? This is just how we said it. There was white, black, Mexican, Asian. And that's how the gangs were divided. That's how our campus was divided. You knew where the different groups hung out, so you knew where not to go. I grew up in that. I grew up in that. And we had a park right above our, our, our junior high, and there was a season where it was not uncommon for every day. There was a gang fight. And the question was, who is it today? Oh, it's this group against that group. And then sometimes the groups would make alliances. But it was all about gender, which is split. And by default, you were identified. Now, I had friends in all different groups, so I could kind of like... You know, I called myself like Switzerland. I could go anywhere kind of on campus. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? But in my mind, that, infect, that, that, that affected me. Because at a very formative stage of my life, whole races were seen as potential enemy. Right? So I get this distinction in my head. And, and, and it colors me. It colors me. I go to UCLA and deal with racial issues 
you know, as a person of color at UCLA. I tried to wrap my, my mind around that for five years, right? And then I get saved. And, and, and I'm supposed to go to church. Now, having grown up in the Roman Catholic tradition in that part of San Diego, church to me meant a whole bunch of Filipinos. It was just real comfortable. Right? I mean, just, I'm just, you know me, I just say it like it is. It was. In our church, like 90 plus percent Filipinos. Hey, what's up, Andy? Hey, what's up, Uncle? You know, it's like family reunion. Real comfortable. I get saved and I start going to an evangelical church. A Christian church. And with my background and, and my, my kind of paradigm of stuff, from junior high, high school, and all this kind of stuff, I walk in, my wife brings me to, to church, I walk in, I'm like, there's a lot of white people here. <laughs> I'm like, dude, there's not many of us. <laughs> Even in my getting used to church, it's all about Jesus, and we're singing songs, on church, but I'm like, <laughs> Honey, there was, there was another Filipino family here today, right? It's like we're all excited. Because I'm trying to process what it means to be in Christ in light of all this humanness that, that I had to experience, right? This, this oneness. So the question for you and for me is, in the church, what are the hang-ups? What are, the, what, are the, what, are, what are the things that with other people that are kind of like, oh man, this is kind of... Could be age. You know, we have a pretty diverse congregation here. We moved to Ojai in 1999, summer of 1999. And I'll be real honest with you. See, so now you know my upbringing and, and where I've come from. I've been in ministry a long time, lots of diverse churches in San Diego. I'm invited to explore and pray about the opportunity come to this town called Ojai. I had no clue where this was. Never even heard of it. Right? So I get online and I'm <laughs> looking at Ojai. Right? I'm like, ooh, okay. And you, know, you do your research. And then at a certain point, I had a conversation. And my conversation was regarding the church that I was being asked to come to. And I said, hey, uh, What's the racial makeup? And I was told what the racial makeup was of the church. And I was just like, so how's that going to work with me coming in? Because I'm not white. It's a real question. It's a real question, even in the church. Even in the church. And even in ministry, 25 years of ministry, I've had to deal with overt racism and what I call racism because people just don't know what they're talking about. You know? They just kind of say things without understanding because they're very limited perception of stuff. Even in the church, it's real. It's real. And so this, this for me, this, this call to love one another as Christ loved me, this Galatians and Colossians, hey, dude, I know how you were raised in junior high, and I know you were like, you know, you kind of like, eh, you can, you got the sort of thing about them and the sort of thing about them, and you didn't have real good experiences going through that neighborhood. All of that's real. So, so I am with you in going, wow, Lord, that, that, that's, that's 
genuinely, in my flesh, said, I, I can't do that in the flesh. I got so many memories, not good memories, that it does take a conscious choice for me and the willingness to let God change me. You all say. To do this. challenge to love as Christ loves. To genuinely as a church love one another with agape love. Bear the fruit of the Spirit here. So what is it? What, what, what's the challenge for you? To just say, Lord, I can't in the flesh. But in the Spirit, you say I can do all things through Christ. You say that agape love is a fruit of the Spirit. You say... That as a believer, I have the Holy Spirit in me. Amen? Right? So how do we exhibit agape love? How do we get there? How, do, how does this church, how does the well make a mark for Jesus in the Ojai Valley by loving one another? Here's the first thing. Okay? You practical steps. you got to know Jesus. you got to be saved. Right? Romans 8, 9 and 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, if, you, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's why the church is a supernatural miracle. Right? How many of you at a certain stage in your life, the last thing you wanted to do was be in church on Sunday? So why are you here? Don't say because so-and-so made me. Don't don't out them right now. Right? If you're here because you want to be, thank the Holy Spirit. Thank God for changing your desires. That's the Spirit working in you. Right? The Philippians says, it is God who works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. How many of you in your life right now, you have no desire to do what you used to do? Some of the sinful darkness things. You just have no desire. Who changed your desire? God did. That's God. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will change your desires. Change your desires. Right? So you've got to be saved. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in you, right? And then... Here's the thing. you got to believe that you're new. See, when Jesus, let's go back to John 13. Very important. When Jesus in John 13 says, a new command I give you, here's what he means. There's a word in the Greek for new called kainos. Everyone say kainos. Kainos, right? There's another word in the Greek for new called naos. Everyone say naos. Okay. Naos means new as in recent. It's a time word. Right? It's like things coming off the assembly line. They're just new. Right? Kainos, a new command. Kainos 
is something that has never existed before. Unprecedented. New in quality and character. Canos! Right? Guess which one applies to you as a believer? When he says you are a new creation, which one are you? Kainos. Ah! Kainos! Right? It's kind of like the assembly line. It's like this, right? You know, this is built. Just stand there, right? It's like if I say, he's gone, look at that. What is that? <laughs> I, I, I think that looks like a Model B. One of them old cars. <laughs> An LT, right? Model B, right? You remember those Model Bs? They were self-propelled, self-driven. All about him and all about what he could do. It was all about him. Them Model Bs, that was all self-propelled cars. Remember them, right? So I was like, no, I don't think that's a Model B. I think that's one of them there, Kynosers. That's a kinos. And it's actually a hybrid. It's Holy Spirit driven, but he's got to do some stuff too. Right? So question, when you see yourself, are you a Model B, trying to fix yourself up, change out some old parts, but you're still self-driven? Or are you a a kinos? One of them there supernatural hybrid things. Driven by the Holy Spirit, but you got to do your part too. Amen? See, thanks, folks. Here's the thing. Many of us think that Christianity is, I said a prayer, God now isn't so mad at me, and now i got to clean my life up. <laughs> Naos. I, 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 in a point in time, I said a, I said a come to Jesus prayer, Naos. He says I'm new, and now i just got to clean up my life. Change the tires, change the oil, you know, I gotta renovate. That's probably why you have no joy. That's why it works. That's why this whole love thing and supernatural stuff just goes like, what's he talking about? Because when you said that prayer, or whatever you did to put your faith in Jesus, you were not naos, you were. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. You were what? Helpless. 
He says, hey, a new command I give you. And by the way, you're the same kind of new. And by the way, you're now empowered to live a new life. One that has not existed before. One that has not existed before. That is a Yahoo!
Because according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're a believer, you're a new creation. Kainos. Now you may not have it all together, but your story's not done. That's sanctification. But sanctification needs to be rooted in you believing what God already says is true about you. And in that truth, I am Kainos. I am a new creation. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I can live a new life as I yield and submit and trust. That's kainos. That's that abundant life he's talking about. Maybe this morning before we take communion, you're not sure if you're a new creation. You're not sure if, if you have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't know if you're kainos. Well, very simply, it's through faith in Jesus. Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. You put your faith in Jesus, you rest fully in his finished work, in his love for you at the cross. In that moment of salvation, kainos. Positionally, in God's eyes, you're a new creation, and you get the, the, the privilege and the joy to work it out. To work it out. Until it's time to go meet Jesus. We just heard this past week one of our dear sisters at Continuing Care went home to be with Jesus. 103, I believe. Right? But what a joy she brought to us over there. Even as 100 years old, she'd be over there during Triple C playing the cardboard box drums with us and just bringing joy to the room at 100 years old. Kind of. Blessing others with the, the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord at 100 years old, just banging away on her drums during our chapel your story's not done. It's not done. You sin, I sin. The Bible says confess it, repent, learn from it, and then move on. Get back on track. Get back on track. Because we're all in this together. So, if you need to settle the issue, the front end of Kainos, and, and, and put your faith in Jesus, and be a new creation, and name written in heaven, put your faith in Jesus. Rest in his finished work. Okay? If you're here, maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I have been so focused on how bad I am and everything I don't do and all my failures, and I am just beating myself up left and right. Maybe before communion, you need to say, time out. I'm kind of. Or as we would say, I'm kind of, yo. Sometimes you just got to call it. I'm kind of, man. Because who's the accuser? Satan. Satan has no shortage of stuff he'll throw at you. You remember when? Oh, what about that? I know what you did last night. Da, 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 da. Who are you choosing to listen to? Because the Bible says you're a new creation. Adopted into his family. Your name is written in heaven. Today, maybe it's time to say, that's right. church, because 
church. Now you realize the church is made up of people, but supernaturally created kind of people. Amen? And John 13, 34 says we're supposed to do something for those kind of people, which is what? As. <laughs> right? So here's the thing. As you come up in a corporate way, in a communal way for communion, visually see, oh my gosh, God is alive and well. Look at all these kind of in this room. And Lord, you call me to love them as you love me. Now, Lord, I don't even know them. Lord, it's a process. Lord, I may have my stuff, whether it's the idea of love or races or whatever. But Lord, I, okay, I admit, I can't do this on my own. All these people coming forward, they're part of your family. All these people coming forward, they're the church. Okay, you call me to love them because that's how the world's going to know. That's how the world's going to know that we're your disciples. Starts in this room. Starts in this room. So, as much as communion is a, is a reflective time today, church is your church made up of your people that you call kainos new creations unprecedented, extraordinary never existed before and you empower us with new things Holy Spirit to walk a new life, a kainos life and so this morning we come before you and before communion you need to just talk to Jesus, put your faith in him for salvation, then do that. Just confess that to Jesus. Lord, in the best way I know how, I believe you love me. I believe you demonstrated that love on the cross. So Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm resting. I'm resting in your finished work. I'm trusting you as my Savior and Lord. I put my faith in you alone. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, Lord, Church is filled with new creation. 